When you create an environment that feels safe enough, it is like a force as strong as gravity. People are desperate for it. They're craving for it. They just don't know where to direct it or how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's clear to me that it's needed so much. Hello. Welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and this is your destination for all things growth. Last week, we hosted the first ever New York Active Ingredient Yoga and Coffee event, and it was for real a dream come true just to sweat and to get coffee with people within the community. It was just what the doctor ordered. And I've said this before on the show, but just really having a hunch that this community is exactly the type of person that I want to hang out with was just so true. And it hopefully is going to be the first of many. But for this event, we did hot yoga at my current favorite spot called HeatWise, H-E-A-T-W-I-S-E. And I was so happy to introduce my community to such a fabulous studio that I go to all the time. I actually went this morning. I know I've said it before, but it really is some of the best sequencing and true hot yoga classes that also ends with eucalyptus towel, by the way. They have locations in the city on Bowery at Brooklyn Heights in Brooklyn and Park Slope in Brooklyn. They are offering all active ingredient listeners their first class completely free when you use code active A-C-T-I-V-E at checkout. Their website is heatwise, H-E-A-T-W-I-S-E dash studio.com and use code active at checkout for your first class on us. Enjoy. Hello, welcome back to another episode. This week's episode is with Vanessa Cornell, who is the founder of Nushu, a community healing destination with online offerings as well as in-person gatherings here in New York. And she also offers retreats. This whole platform was born out of Vanessa's own personal disconnection from herself after a lifetime of being a high achiever. This was such an incredible conversation. I really, really felt seen. I feel like a lot of her story resonated with my own. And I feel like specifically for people who could fall under perfectionist or recovering perfectionist camp or people pleaser. I think that this is going to be an episode that helps us all kind of just feel really seen and understood. In this episode, we get into the concept of having the capacity to hold two contradicting truths at the same time, unlearning perfectionism, the power of community and being witnessed. We get into the gratitude trap and what that is, the privilege of being able to do the work and the responsibility that comes with it. And lastly, having patience with the process and allowing our bodies time to catch up with our minds. So with that, Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here and for the work that you're doing. And I'm so excited to get into all things about your story and what you're up to in the world. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, same. Okay. So I actually normally start the question with the same question on every episode, but I actually kind of just want to dive in first and then come back to what is community healing and why at this moment in time is it so important? You know, it's interesting. We call it community healing or we call it group, uh, but really it's kind of the most fundamental, basic human need that we've forgotten how to care for. I mean, it really comes down to, as human beings, we need to be connected to other human beings. 
it's a fundamental necessity. And we, it became so obvious during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Just human connection, human touch, human contact, people were drowning without it. And so it's often sometimes when you take something away, you recognize how much you need it. And so it's this very, very basic thing. It's like a gravitational pull between people. People need other people to hold and see them for who they are. But what's interesting is we've kind of become a culture where we're hiding from each other. We're doing a lot of pretending. We're doing a lot of like, I'll show you this part of me, but I won't show you the whole part of me. I think what I need to do is curate myself because I'm seeing everyone curate themselves and get a lot of praise for it through social media, for example. I'm talking about really the younger generation. Yeah, I mean, our generation too. Media. Our generation too. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I understand as I'm a young person growing up or an adult, I understand how I'm going to get accepted and praised. I have to curate a version of me that has only the shiny bits, only the pretty bits and the dark uglies. I should really put those away. I should really hide those from other people. And so what we're doing is we're presenting ourselves with kind of a veneer. And through that veneer, you can actually have human connection because the human connection comes from saying, you have trusted me enough to show me who you are, naked, the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between. And I see you for that. And I love you, accept you, and don't judge you for that. And so I think what's happened is that we're, we're really lonely, even if we're surrounded by a lot of people. There have been some pretty big studies. Cigna did a study where 50% of the U.S. population self-identified as very lonely most of the time. Over 50%. That was before COVID. Wow. Imagine what it is now. And so in this kind of interconnected social media world where a lot of those people probably have friends and family and colleagues and people they spend time with, but they still identify as deeply lonely. What we've forgotten how to do is to say, let me show myself to you. Let me show who I actually am to you. And that's the way that you create connection. And to me, that's the opposite of loneliness, mm-hmm. being able to show yourself to somebody and have them see you for who you are. Why and do you so- think we've forgotten that? Like, why do you think that like at this phase, I know social media is a big component and like, we're just seeing what we see. So we think that that's the whole truth, but like, where did we forget that, that connection point? And even with people that are super close to you, cause like from my perspective and going through and being in this like wellness space, like I've caught myself in the mentality of like, oh, I'll share my vulnerability when I'm on the other side of it. Like when I've gotten to this point. Once you know? I'm healed. Yeah, like once. Whatever I'm that here, means. Then, then, I'll, then I'll be okay to like be in close connection. Yeah. But it's like, even with my super close friends, and, and I actually did hear you talk about this when I was doing prep for the podcast, about how you grew up in a family system where it was like, you keep things within the family. You don't really share outside of that. Yeah. And I could relate to that a lot. And it's like, how are we supposed to actually have deep, deep connections if like the only person that, and even so like, maybe sometimes you're not even admitting it to yourself, but like, if you're only admitting it to yourself, how the hell are you supposed to connect? So I guess my question is like, where along the way did this start happening? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many, there's so many components to it, but I'll point out like one or two. Okay. One is we used to live in a village 
right? We Mm -hmm. used to live in a location in a village with extended family where we needed each other. We relied on each other. And so there is a vulnerability in asking for help and giving help that creates connection, right? So when you live in a village, everyone sees what you do. And when you move from the village to an urban center and you live in an apartment with your nuclear family and not with extended family, you no longer rely on other people. You rely on services, right? You have a babysitter maybe, or you get your food from the grocery store. And there's this sort of inherent lack of mutual interdependence that happens because it all becomes sort of transactional, right? Mm -hmm. And so moving, this is like, you know, very fundamental, moving from a village family system where you're interdependent to a culture of independence and a culture of sort of glorifying and, and appreciating the individual over the collective, you're kind of on your own. You kind of have to fight it on your own. And there's all sorts of ways that you can cover up the fact that you need other people. Um, So that's kind of one thing. I think there's a lot also, particularly for women in the culture about um, being rewarded for success, performance, perfectionism, looks that creates sort of an image when we're very young of if I want to be loved, this is who I have to be. And that definition is very narrow. I cannot be all of these different things that, you know, you know, these, these aspects of me are unappealing and unattractive. Therefore, I'm not going to be that. So for example, for women, women are definitely not encouraged to be angry, right? Mm -hmm. Do women get angry? Do women have cause to be angry? Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Like anger is an amazing way for us to see that there has been injustice in the world. Mm -hmm. that We have been wronged. And also like the energy that's sometimes needed to like move things, like get things to change. For sure. But we have often been taught like, oh, that's kind of an ugly emotion. It's not very attractive. And so Mm -hmm. we sort of hide it away. And so there are so many factors at play that have gotten us to the place where we are. But we're we're in a we're in a tough place. I mean, people are really disconnected, really lonely, and they've forgotten the very, very, very basic fundamental human need and desire for connection with others. And what's really fascinating is that uh, when you set up the conditions, which is what my work is, right? When you set up the conditions that are conducive to people actually feeling safe enough, because safety is the the one ingredient people really need to be able to show themselves to other people. When you create an environment that feels safe enough, it is like a force as strong as gravity. People are desperate for it. They're craving for it. They just don't know where to direct it or how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's clear to me that it's needed so much. And whatever form it takes, whether it's, we talked about therapy or community healing, uh, it's like people need to learn how to feel safe enough to be brave enough to actually tell the truth about who they are. Yeah. I'm curious with our current state of, there's a lot of talk and the pendulum has swung in the direction of like, you have all the answers within. You have everything you need to fulfill yourself. You can show up for yourself, all of the needs that you try and like the conversation of codependency and like 
trying to get needs met from other people and not with yourself, I think is part of the reason why we swung to this direction where it's like, I've got me, I like can listen to my inner child and like all those things are valid. And then I think that like, at least for me, I'm speaking from my experience and I'm, I'm kind of still in this place of like having gotten to a place where I know how to hit a lot of my needs myself and like with service providers or with like certain very specific people in my life. And still though, there's a huge, huge lack of it being within more than one-to-one part, like to just feel like I'm not alone with a group of more than one person that I'm either paying or just one person that's super close to me, you know? Yeah. 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 So, so I, I definitely subscribe to the camp of no one has the answers except for you. Mm -hmm. No one can give you the answers, right? No one can say this is the answer and you accept it from them. doesn't work that way. I think there's real value to teachers and guides who help direct you towards what you believe, what you know to be true. But at the end of the day, you're kind of on your own. And I remember the moment that I realized that I was actually lying on a bed and I kind of felt this deep, deep, deep sense of loneliness where I was like, oh my God, no one has anything for me. I'm completely alone in this. Because I was going to the teachers and I was saying, like, here's my question. What's the answer? And God bless those teachers. They said, I don't have the answer for you. You have the answer for you. I can't give you the answer. And I was like, but it would be so much easier. And it would make me feel so much safer and calmer if you had the answer. But but no one does. But the interesting thing that I've realized, particularly because all of my work is group work and in community work, what I've realized is... We often have a hard time holding two different things that seem contradictory at the same time. And so I will say to people, no one has the answers but you. There is no one but you who can know, but you will never find out if you're not in community. So being in community, so for example, the group work that I do, Mm -hmm. being in group, the way it's structured is I offer prompts, people journal on the prompts, and then they share in turn. There's no crosstalk. There's no commenting on others. Everyone just speaks from their experience. There is a huge difference between journaling a prompt and speaking it out loud into a group of people who are witnessing you with compassion. There's a huge difference. And the actual witnessing of, and frankly, the nervous system exchange where you say, I have this thought, it's a little scary to say out loud. I haven't wanted to say it out loud because I think maybe if this is thought is true and I speak it, I'm going to turn people off. I'm going to turn them away. I'm not going to be lovable. And when you speak it into a crowd and everyone's like, we're still here, we're still here. You actually have real evidence, real evidence that you know in your intellectual mind and you feel in your nervous system. And your and in your emotional body, it's like, oh, it is safe to be me in the world. It is safe to be truthful in the world. It is safe to take the veneer off. It's safe to take the mask off. And so it's like you can't almost figure it out without the community. And yet they have no answers for you. You're doing it alone. They're witnessing They're and witnessing. holding. Yeah. They're witnessing and holding. And it's almost like you 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 are on your own but you can't do it on your own. Both things are true at the same time. Like none of those people in the group can give you the answer, but witnessing you is going to be the catalyst that's going to help you find your answer. 
So the thing that comes up for me in that, and like, I definitely want to check out a new shoe group, but I will say like the thing that comes up for me, and I think it's like deeply, deeply rooted in the way that I was raised and what I believed to be true is that you can't trust strangers with like, with really, really close to you information. And like, if I am going to a group like that and I don't know who's there and like, who knows me or who knows my clients or who knows whatever, you know, like even with my own friends, I'm like, I don't want to say it because I don't want them talking about me behind my back. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, there are a number of different things that create the safety, right? One is like, there are rules, there are rules. And one of the rules is confidentiality, but there's also kind of rules in terms of how you're expected to show up, how you're expected to show up in your energy. And then there are rules in terms of like, you speak, then you speak, then you speak. And nobody's like saying like, Oh, Sophie, that thing that you said, yeah. I totally relate to that. Cause that happened to me. Right. And so there are structures in place that kind of mitigate that. That doesn't mean people aren't still afraid to do it, but you also kind of have to set it up in a way where you say like, this is what you're going to get out of this group. And this is the expectation. So there is kind of an expectation of how people show up that you set out at the beginning. And the people who don't, who aren't interested in meeting that expectation are turned off. They don't mm-hmm. want to come They're like, oh, that's weird. That's What's weird. the expectation? That's that. The expectation is confidentiality. The expectation is that you come and that you listen without judgment and with compassion. And the expectation is that you show up truthfully, which doesn't mean you spill everything that you have to spill, right? Yeah. You share what you want to share when you feel comfortable sharing it and no, not a second before, right? And so you show up in your truth. And if your truth is, I'm not ready to share and I want to pass, that's your truth. And so there are, you know, very specific expectations of how people show up and a way that the space is set up. That's like, if you are interested in active listening, really being there for other people, saying to them, if you're willing to hear my stuff, I'm here for it to hear yours. Um, It is remarkable who is drawn to that space. Mm -hmm. And when the expectation is here, how people rise to that expectation and there's an amazing there's an amazing thing that happens that I've never been able to fully explain or describe but if you talk to anybody who does group work any healers who do group work they'll say oh yeah 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 that wisdom of the group it's 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 brilliant it has its own it has its own wisdom where everyone sort of puts in what they put in and it's very hard to dislodge that if it's set up the right way mm. and so amazingly at the end of the group what you find is that everyone kind of got what they needed. You know, people at the end are like, it's so interesting. What you said made me feel not alone and brave enough to share what I said. And what I said gave you something. And so everyone kind of both gives and receives without hierarchy, you know, Um, and there is a really fascinating wisdom that happens, which I think has to do with our sort of extrasensory intuitive intelligence that is not the kind of linear, you know, cerebral intelligence that we have, but a different kind of intelligence for understanding who are these people? What do they need? What do I need? What do I have to give? And it's pretty remarkable and beautiful to witness. How many people are in a group? And how did you also like figure out, because this is a tough thing to crack, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. love that you specifically set out for it to not be expert led and to it, for it to just be a space where everyone is sharing at an equal level. 
how did you crack the code? Or I, I'm assuming it's always going to be a work in progress, but like to ultimately reach that safety point, how did you get there? Yeah. So it's, it's usually six, six to eight people in a group. Okay. And the reason I kind of figured, figured it out was that I was doing expert led events. I got really, really, really curious about all things inner landscape. And so I was looking for all the smartest people I could find to talk about the, that work. And what I was doing is I was gathering my people, my friends, because you start where you are. Mm-hmm. And I was bringing these experts in and the experts were telling me, you know, I live in New York on the Upper East Side. So they had an expectation of who these women are, how open they would be and how willing they would be to be really vulnerable and honest in that space. And I had a number of them come to me and they said, wow, that's not what I expected. It's not really what I expected that they would be so vulnerable. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting, you know, and multiple of them said that to me and people were sort of coming and they were really interested. And I felt like there was a lot of trust being built within this group of women who were who were accessing these events. And I think the way it started was that I started with my honesty. I started from the very beginning when I started doing this work and I said, you may think my life is perfect and shiny, but let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you that after you know five kids in six years and everything on paper you could ever want. Literally, there was not a box that wasn't checked except for maybe fame, but I never really wanted that anyway, right? Like all the boxes were checked and I was miserable and deeply, deeply, deeply lonely and ready to leave my whole life. And so I sort of started with that and I could see people in the audience and they were like, you said that while you were speaking or as a, an audience member? I did that when I launched Nushu. Wow. I brought everyone into a room and I said, this is why I'm doing this. This is what happened to me. And I think they were like, oh my God. Like, are you kidding? She's actually telling us this. But and I'm me, sure that they see themselves in that too on some level. Of course. We all, you know, it's like I tell my story not because it's unique and special. I tell my story because it's so universal. Mm-hmm. So it's not because it's so some extraordinary story. It's because it's kind of almost every story yeah. at some point in at some degree in yeah. life. Uh, and it's so funny because just telling the truth was shocking to people, shocking to people. And so that's kind of what I do on my Instagram, right? Like I wake up in the morning and I say like, how am I feeling? And what am I thinking? And what are my thoughts? And I just say it. And I have people being like, I can't believe you're saying that out loud. I'm like, it's just... The truth, and it's not really that controversial, right? Like I'm saying, I'm exhausted and I'm feeling guilty about lying in bed. And it's really interesting how I know that I am allowed to lie in bed, but there's just that nagging thing. Yeah. How I was raised that makes me feel like like crummy for the most relatable thing I've ever heard. Totally. It's like literally the most relatable thing I've ever heard. Right. How did you get to a place though? I feel like that's like you said, so universal, truly, I can relate. But how did you get to a place of allowing yourself to have or giving yourself permission to feel like you have it all and it's not enough at the same time? Because I feel like we can get into a place where we try to, and and I think at some points in the journey, it's super useful to focus on the things that you're grateful for and like all those things, but to also make room for things that you just feel in your bone and in your soul that it's not enough. Like it's just not. And how do those things exist at the same time? And then how do you allow yourself to explore that when you have yeah. it all on paper? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, I kind of had it all and I was frankly sleepwalking through my life. Right. I was there for the people around me, but I was not inspired. I had no creative energy. And as I said, I was really miserable. And so as I started to get to know who I was and started to sort of understand what I needed, because that was a bit, that's a big thing, right? We like suppress our needs for a long time. It actually Mm -hmm. takes time not to decide to meet our needs, but to even recognize or have a conversation with our needs again, to be able to identify a thousand percent. Even to identify our needs. So as and I said, that start- our needs matter. Like that, that like one sentence, like your needs matter is something that like I just I would hear it definitely early on in the I would hear those words and like they never resonated with me until now. And I'm like, wow, they do. Like, why do why am I living for so many other people? Yeah. Not my own needs. Totally. And and it's a really good point. You know, you go on Instagram or you hear all these things. Everyone hears the same things, right? Your needs uh-huh. matter. Put your oxygen mask on first. You have to fill your cup. And yet we're all not doing it and we're completely burned out and we're still martyring ourselves. And so it's like, where is the difference? Where is the disconnect between the messages we kind of know to be true intellectually, but we don't believe it in our bodies? We don't believe it in our whole beings. And there is something stopping us from doing it, right? Or we would all be doing it. We mm-hmm. would all be taking care of ourselves and having balance and being reasonable and taking mm-hmm. care of ourselves. So so if we really believed it in our souls, we would all be doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And so what is stopping us? There's a lot of things stopping us, right? Like the way we were raised and perfectionism and caregiving and caretaking. But the way to change it is it's not about thinking it, it's about practice. It's about little incremental practice because every time you push up against it, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Every time you prioritize yourself, it's going to feel uncomfortable. And so you have to do it again and again and again and again so that you can expand your capacity to be like, I can care for myself first and people won't hate me. Okay, let me try again. Let me try again. Let me try again. And then you start to sort of believe it. And then Mm -hmm. you take bigger steps and then you push the envelope a little bit farther and you're like, oh, interesting. Not only do people not reject me, I have more energy for the people I love. Interesting. It's not a zero sum game. When I take care of myself, I have more. We may know it intellectually, but until we try it, Mm -hmm. we don't really know. And so my first radical revolutionary act was to make myself a cup of tea in the morning before I did anything for my kids. It was my one thing, my one ritual. And I tell people, I'm like, start with one little ritual that says to you, if I make my cup of tea before I take care of my five kids who might be yelling at me or doing whatever, and I say, no, no, mom needs her cup of tea. And I do that and I realize, oh, the world didn't fall apart. The kids are fine. They all got fed. It all got done. Then I can graduate to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so now I I look at my life. I've got five kids. I run two businesses. I've got a really busy life. I'm more energetic and I have more ease and I have more free time than when I had one kid. So so fascinating. But but we have to we have to practice it and we have to push it. And so this kind of practice of truth telling also. Mm -hmm. Like I was raised, I was raised a liar. Like, I don't know if anyone listening can relate to this, but like lots of white lies, Mm. lots of like, we don't share that outside of the family. 
Yeah. Well, that I definitely relate to of like, yeah. keep, it, keep it within here. You can only like tell very, very close people to you if that. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, I, I don't want to be that. And I know that that is the thing that is trapping me in loneliness, my inability to share or show any of the parts of me that aren't perfectly curated. And so I was like, how do I counter this? I have to have an active practice every single day. Whatever I think, I put it out there. I don't overthink it. And then by the way, so many times I posted things and then I went into a full on shame spiral afterwards, like a full on, like, oh my God, I shouldn't. Have that happens to me with friends. Like if I'm like out with friends and I like, I'm saying things about my relationship or my life. And then I literally go home and I'm like, what did I just do? Like why now everyone's going to think this or talk about that? Like, okay. So we're like maybe trying and then like spiraling now what? Yeah. There's, so that's, that's, that's the vulnerability (laughs) hangover. Wow. It's really real. It's really real. It's really real. I I have a really close friend and she's brilliant. She's a Sasha Hines. You should have her on your podcast. She's a brilliant doctor. She's so smart. Every time I hear her speak, I'm like, she's so smart. And she and I always talk after podcasts because we always have the shame spiral of, oh, I should have said this, or I didn't say that, or I don't know if I sounded smart or right. So this is like human. This Mm -hmm. is human all of us. But the difference is to say, I am afraid, but I'm doing it anyway. My practice is to lean into a little bit of discomfort over and over and over and over to expand my capacity to be in a place where I do care for myself. I do take care of my needs because the theory won't get you there. It has to be a practice and it won't go away. You know, we've been conditioned for decades to think in a certain way. And it's impossible to think that you could like stumble upon a theory where it's like prioritize yourself, where your whole life you've been like prioritize other people. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're going to flip decades of conditioning. It's just not going to happen. So unlearning old things is very, very hard. It takes dedication and it takes practice. But eventually what happens is you kind of see the old patterns come up. It's like for me, Sometimes I think, oh my God, you again? (laughs) I'm like, dude, give it up. I'm so freaking bored of you. You know, (laughs) shame, spiral, doubt, comparison. I'm so bored of you already. And you keep coming up. And I kind of say, it's like, I see you. I hear you. I'm going to do the other thing anyway. And you're still going to come up, but you don't get to decide what I'm going to do. You don't get to choose what I'm going to do because I don't, I don't serve you anymore. Yeah. You had like three and a half decades of my life. You're done. I've been on a skin journey for pretty much my whole adult life. And I have to say that one of the most important and key players in my skin healing journey is my friend, Lauren Berenger, who is a celebrity esthetician. She currently practices at a place called JTAV in New York. And she's also the founder of her own clean beauty brand called Bear House. Every single one of her products is absolutely incredible. And you just can't go wrong with what I consider to be one of my holy grails, which is the Rise Facial Oil. I have definitely talked about it several times on the show. As someone who has really experienced acne for the majority of my adult life, I was always so afraid of oils because I thought that they were going to make me break out more. Like oily skin means more acne. 
But as soon as I started working with Lauren and granted, she also does facials for me, peels, lasers, et cetera. So obviously with skincare, it's just like a multitude of things, but the oil specifically has helped with evening my skin tone. It has helped nourish my skin to the point where it actually looks hydrated. Like, I don't know how to explain it other than like the texture of my skin looks different. And it's something that I use every single day, morning and night. It's part of my routine. I go literally everywhere with it. I'm probably on bottle like 12 at this point. And I love it. Lauren is offering 15% off your order at bearhouse.com, B-E-H-R-H-A-U-S.com when you use code active. And you really can't go wrong with the Rise facial oil, in my opinion. But if there's anything else on the site, it is all heavily vetted. If you're looking for something to buy yourself or for your kids, she really has just the best of the best when it comes to clean beauty and products that are safe for your babies. So I'll say it again. It is Bearhouse, B-E-H-R-H-A-U-S.com and use code active A-C-T-I-V-E for 15% off your order. But it is true though, that I feel like, I mean, when I started, I guess I didn't even realize that I was like on a journey, you know, when it first began, but it's like, once you start to understand that you are on the journey, there's a period where you feel like you're going to be healed and fixed. And at least in my experience, like that voice comes very often. And I, I find also that when I'm up against my edge, it's louder than ever before. And it gets smarter too. It mm-hmm. finds different ways to get in there that like meet my capacity at that point. So it takes another layer of me to actually like outsmart it. You know, yeah. do you find that? Yeah. And I mean, I joke with my friends where we're like, we get to a place where we're like, we're cruising. We're cruising. We did so much work. We've got this. And that is exactly the point for mm-hmm. God or Whoever you decide, you know, wh- whoever you think is the the yeah. force bigger than us is like, huh, that's hilarious. You're adorable to think <laughs> that you're in that place. And like the rug gets pulled out from under you or you get smacked on the head by something. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, and it's like, oh my gosh, really? Like I did so much work to get here and I thought I was so clear. And then all of a sudden it's like, and I feel like I know nothing. Here we go again. Here we go again. I feel like I know absolutely nothing, but I do think there are measurable ways to sort of say like, I'm in a different place than I was. You know, I feel like I have so much more choice over my reactions. I feel like I have so much more confidence in my capacity to ride emotions, to be present for things that are difficult, to have deep, close relationships. And so it's almost like, the ride doesn't get like less bumpy. If anything, it gets more bumpy because you're experiencing it more fully. Mm-hmm. But the the rewards of experiencing it more fully are really there. Yeah. You know, they're really there in terms of your feeling of aliveness and your relationships with other people and your capacity to see and hold all of those big emotions, ups and downs. And having confidence in yourself that you're like, you know, yeah, it's going to come. There's going to be another one. But I kind of, I, I kind of know I can do it. Yeah. That like inner I'm gonna be okay. definitely builds. Totally. Yeah. I'm really curious yeah. on your take on how, like, while you're on this path and like you're reaching kind of like new areas of understanding and acceptance and all of that, I think that like the 
journey also, I'm not, no, I'm not think, I know that it requires a lot of letting go of people, of past versions of yourself, of jobs, anything. And mm-hmm. I'm curious your take since you're married. And from my research, I believe that this kind of like awakening happened when you were already married, already had the five kids. And how do you do that transformation within yourself while being in relation to people that you or your husband that you chose at a time where you weren't in in the phase of, you know, just truly being fully in all the decisions and choices that you're making? How does that relationship shift? And how do all relationships in your life shift? If you can just enlighten us on that, because I feel like that's part that people don't talk about enough. For sure. For sure. So I'm very lucky. I have a very, very supportive partner, like exceptionally lucky. But interestingly, sometimes it's the people who are closest to us who we find it the most difficult to share how we're changing and shifting with. Mm -hmm. And so I remember once I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to put it all in the book. And then I'm going to put it on his side of the bed so he can read it and know who I now am without me having to show and explain it to him over and over again, because it's scary to me if he's like, that's really weird, Vanessa. That's kind of woo-woo. I don't really understand that. Why are you doing this? You know, you're afraid of the rejection of the new you Mm -hmm. from the people closest to you. And so the first thing is, you know, acknowledging that it's really scary. It's really, really scary. The second thing is, A lot of times when people have this realization, they, like me, are like, I have to blow up my life. Oh my God, same. I'm literally like run, leave, buy, close, everything. Like that's exactly what I feel, the urge to do. It's all wrong. I made all the wrong decisions. I'm living in the wrong place. It doesn't mean anything. I'm in the wrong job. I have the wrong friends. It's all wrong. And so we're like, Maybe if I change all of those outside things, it'll be right. And I have to figure out what the alternative answer is on all these fronts, where I live, how I work, who I'm with, who I'm friends with, how I spend my time. And if I figure all those out and I execute those and I go put myself in that life, everything will be okay. But the thing is, The problem is that if you ended up in a life where you feel like, oh shit, whose life is this? How did I end up in this life that feels like it's someone else's life? The work is not to go look at the external life and change that. The work is to go inside and figure out who you are, what you like, what you love, what gives you joy, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel bad, what's the pace of your day. So to to really be like, I'm going to really get to know who I am, what I love, what feeds me, what makes me feel good to reconnect with my needs. If my needs are something I haven't looked at, that's a process. It's a process to Mm -hmm. even recognize how to recognize your needs, recognize your wants. What do I even like? Do I even like going to that thing that I go to every week? Do I even like the work that I'm doing? And that's a process of reconnecting to your joy and what lights you up. It's very hard for people to do that because they feel like the joy is the reward at the end of the work. 
Mm-hmm. And so they're like, I don't get that yet. But the truth is the joy is the guidepost to help you figure out what your work is in the world. So it's this process of really getting, which I did, of really getting to know, like, who am I? What do I need? What do I want? And then the external things start to become very clear. They start to become very obvious. And so for me, what happened was I started to see, like, the husband's not the problem. The husband's amazing. The city's not the problem. There's good and there's bad, but there's good and there's bad everywhere. It was me. It was being disconnected from me that was the problem. So when I talk to people, I say, don't worry about the other people. Don't worry about making changes. Just focus on you. Just focus on who am I? What do I need? What do I want? And then you're not torturing yourselves over decisions. They kind of become really obvious and easy. And it's even not a decision. You just kind of like your whole being moves away from certain things and towards. Mm -hmm. And that's happened with me with, with friendships where the way I spend my time, who I spend time with, how I socialize, it wasn't like a decision where I was like, I am choosing to not spend time with these people, spend time with these people, do these social things, not do these social things. It wasn't like a calculated decision that I then went and executed. I just went with what felt true to me and I wasn't attracted to what didn't feel true to me, but it's changed. But but like, even with that, because I feel like I, I, same process, like I was just curious on the things that like, I really liked going to, or like when I felt like I was procrastinating doing something or whatever, I was just started paying attention. And then I stopped going to a lot of things. And then it kind of felt like once I stopped going to like three things with people that I used to do everything with. Then it kind of felt like this is a choice, and that there was it, it. It wasn't kind of just like I drifted. It was like, oh shit! Like now it's like three or four times that I've like t- totally not gone to something. Now I'm like choosing. This is these aren't my people anymore. Yeah, and and you know I find that people really react very well to honesty. Yeah, and everyone, but my approach was always kind of loving, really loving honesty, like. Thank you so much for inviting me to this, but I have a lot going on and it's just not something that I'm interested in doing, you know? And, but what I, what I do hear a lot also from people is they feel like their world gets really, really, really narrow and that's scary and lonely too, right? When Mm -hmm. your world gets narrow and you're like, oh my gosh, now everyone's going away and I'm this new person and no one knows who I am anymore of the people who used to be my people. And so sometimes, you know, depending on who they are and it requires discernment, you know, sometimes showing people the new person who you are, they are not as scared of it as you think they might be. Now, you can't control other people and you don't know how they react. And in some cases, that's not a good idea. But what I'll also say to people is if you're really grounded in who you are, you're very attractive. Like people who are grounded in who they are, who are open and warm and generous and willing to share who they are. They're very attractive. They're very magnetic. And so if your world narrows, it will expand again. And you can't sit in your apartment by yourself and not meet anyone and think your world is going to expand. You do have to make an effort. You do have to sort of say like, yeah, I think that maybe this place has people that I might relate to, you know, so you have to put yourself out there and you have to make an effort. But your world will expand again. And for me, the relationships that I built over the last couple of years 
are some of the deepest, most profound relationships of my life. And I still have a lot of friendships for from kind of before my awakening who are like, I love who you are. You're different than who you were before. I'm not really different than who I was before. I'm the same Expand person. on that. Expand on that because I feel like that's, I, I want to hear what you think about that. I really, really think, and this is just my belief system, that we kind of have this soul's imprint of who we are and what we're supposed to do on earth. And it has to do with the gifts that we were given because all of us were given different gifts. And all the work that I'm doing when I think about it is just about solving for getting closer to that soul's imprint. And so all of the questions I always ask myself are, is this true for me? Is this true to who I am? Does this feel true to me? Does this work feel true to me? Does this relationship feel true to me? Does this reaction feel true to me? And so I don't think that I've invented it. I think it was there. It's always been there. It's what I was born with. And maybe I I stepped away from it for some time and I'm returning to it. But I'm not a new person. I'm much more of me than I was when I was pretending. I love that. And you know, like the, sorry to cut you off, but I'm just saying this because it's like legitimately the point of this podcast. And it's the cornerstone question that I ask every single guest, which is what we like as a kid. Cause I find that we, like you're saying, we just, it gets murky, we lose it. And it's really a practice of coming home to that. But I, I just, I wonder what your take is on like, maybe we're in this phase right now where we feel like we are getting closer to it. But do you find that like throughout the journey, there will be that next phase of like within your twenties that you're making decisions that are based off of like, maybe not your whole self. And then it takes another level of awakening to then get to that next phase. Or do you think that it's kind of like, once it happens, it's a more easeful progression to getting closer to who you already are. Yeah. 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 I mean, listen, I think when we're, when we're in our twenties and even maybe in our thirties, we're really, really, really motivated by external reward. An expectation. This idea of what our life should look like, this idea of what a successful person is, what a successful life looks like. And that's informed by our family of origin, or it's informed mm-hmm. by a teacher, or it's informed by the media, or it's informed by all these different things. And there's nobody in school sort of saying to you, but who are you? And what is your unique gift, right? The schooling system is very kind of directed towards one type of gift, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. a certain type of kid that does well in school and they are rewarded. And the kids that don't do well in school are made to feel maybe less than. I I actually was one of those kids that was rewarded in school. I was not. I was like... I was like full on straight A teacher's pet national merit scholar, like the whole, yeah. the whole was very much rewarded for that. But I never had this, like, what do you like? Who are you? What is your unique gift to give to the world? And I know it sounds strange, but the way that I raise my kids is very much directed towards that. Was that. My next like, question. like, how do you do this yeah, like, the home? I see parenting as my job is to be extremely curious and support my children living the life that reflects who they are and i am very focused on looking at my kids and saying it is such a privilege 
to have the chance to know you and be curious about who you are, as opposed to, I have this idea in my head of the kid I was supposed to have, and let me engineer this child that I got into that kid. And I don't think any parent would listen to that phrase and be like, that's what I'm doing, right? Like it's not- Or they don't do it on purpose, yeah. Of course not, of course not. And I'm certainly not perfect at it, right? Like I see myself pushing my kids and I'm like, ooh, is that my conditioning? And like, Mm -hmm. I'm still undoing and reworking all of my conditioning too. So it's certainly not perfect. Uh, But it's like when somebody can be connected, I believe, with their gifts in a really true and honest way, it's like the potential goes from here to like here. I want to tie that potential into this, the question you asked earlier about gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I came Thanks. to this realization sitting with a lot of women who are highly educated with a lot of resources and the ability and capacity to do a lot in the world, recognizing that that is a true privilege because there are a lot of women who don't have that choice, right? Who don't have the luxury of saying, who am I and what is my purpose and what should I be doing, right? That is a huge luxury. There are a lot of people, a lot of people who are like, I need to put food on the table and do what it takes to support my family. So it's really important to acknowledge that there's tremendous privilege in even being able to ask these questions. And so what happens, though, is that women feel really grateful for what they have, as they should. Women in this position to have education and resources, financial stability and access. They feel really grateful. They should feel grateful. But then they're trapped, this gratitude trap. Because I have so much more than what other people have, I can't want more and I can't need or want anything because I have so much more. But what I see is this trapped power of a generation of women who are the women who have the ability and the power and the resources and the opportunity to lavish their gifts on the world in a way to make the world a better place, whatever form that takes, whether it's starting a business and employing people, whether it's doing volunteer work, whether it's going into academia, right? And so they're trapped in their gratitude or trapped in their guilt. And we've got this resourced, educated generation of women who aren't doing things out in the world to make the world a better place because they feel bad that the world's a tough place. And so for me, it's like in order to be able to unleash that gift onto the world, you have to get past this idea that tuning into who you are is selfish. It's all about the self. But it should be all about the self because that's how you tap into this potential. That's how you tap into this energy. It's like if your true path is like right down the middle of the river, you're going to go flying right down the middle of the river. But if you're like, oh, I don't know, not everyone gets to be in the middle of the river and you're like over here and you're trying to go on someone else's path and you're stuck and you, you know, there's, yeah. there's nothing happening over there. You know, there's nothing happening. Yeah. And so I actually sometimes think about, I get impatient. And I'm like, I'm impatient with how long it's taking for me to do these little practices that get me more and more comfortable. And what would happen if I could just bust it open, you know? And the way I think about it often is like, 
What if I wasn't afraid to go be on that big stage? What if I wasn't afraid to do that and do this and do that? And then I think, yeah, the process is the process for a reason. I have to trust it and it is what it is. But I see this kind of, you know, alignment with who you are, alignment with your gifts and the kind of expansive potential that that brings with it as being only a force for good in the world. Yeah. I mean, I think to your point of the privilege, like, I, and I, I say it and I think it about anyone who even listens to this podcast. I'm like, if you're listening to this and you're, you have curiosities about these types of things, like you are in a position to change this world, period, full stop. There's something in you that's calling you because your nervous system is balanced enough to trust that voice. And if we break into this like new ceiling or this new layer of access, cause it's infinite. So like the more that the more of us, I guess, that are in that, the more people kind of see themselves reflected in that, all of it goes up. So I totally, totally agree with you. And I think that at the same time, the guilt is also a really, really big thing. So for someone who's listening right now that is, you know, has all this privilege, is curious about like, why does this not feel fulfilling? What is like that first next step? Like for you, it was the T and starting to regulate your system with that. And I I also think a part of the conversation that is talked about some, but I kind of want to just like reiterate it on this is that it takes because you feel impatient. At least I feel impatient with the process because my brain understands it faster than my body is meeting it. Mm -hmm. So it takes my actual body so much longer than I understand, but I'm like, Oh, I understand this next layer. I understand this next phase. So why can't I get there yet? So for someone listening who identifies, what is that like first next step? Like after listening to this, like, what is something that you would recommend for allowing yourself to just maybe sit with the guilt or what's the next step after the guilt, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think the first, the first step, and this one's a really hard one actually, and it's not really the first step. It's the first thought. Mm. but it's one that comes back is that tapping into your potential, which means knowing who you are is not selfish. It's your responsibility. Yes. 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 If you have been given this privilege, it is unfair for you to sit in the corner and feel guilty about it. That is self-indulgent. As doing nothing. And also, you know, I had this really profound moment during COVID where I could feel, and I know I'm sure a lot of people and you too felt like this collective grief, this collective pain. I felt it so deeply. And as I was feeling this collective grief of all of the people suffering, I thought to myself, you know, there's actually always been this much suffering in the world. It was happening before COVID. It's happening now. It's going to happen tomorrow. Like tremendous, tremendous suffering in the world. And I remember thinking, you know, really being curious and interested in the fact that I could hold that grief for a while and then I had to really put it down. I couldn't, it was too much to bear. And so this idea that we can hold an understanding and a collective, a knowledge of this suffering in the world and also recognize that all we can do is what we can do in our small corner of the world. And that's our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to solve all the problems of the world, 
And it's not our responsibility to solve the problems we think are the ones we should be solving. We can only do the ones that are ours to solve. We can only do the work that's ours to do. And that's, again, about aligning, like, who are you? What lights you up? What do you enjoy? What makes you feel inspired? And if that's, you know, I, I have I have friends who are like, I, I design jewelry. I'm not helping anyone. I'm like, no, but you are. You are. This is your art. This is your craft. This is what you put in the world. This is the energy you put in the world. So don't judge before you've even discovered it, what you're yeah. supposed to there was that Howard Thurman quote that was like, everyone's looking for their passion and what that thing is. But really, like what we all need is more people that come alive That's right. because that aliveness is the recognition that people need to see, oh, this person's in their in their magic, in their aliveness. Like there's something in me that recognizes that in that person, whatever it is that they're doing. They can be top dancing. They could be doing graffiti art. They could be a financial analyst, but someone who's like in their true sauce, like that thing wakes people up, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's like, we've all been given these gifts and it's like, don't squander it. Don't squander what you've been given. Don't decide what you've been given. Isn't the thing you should have been given. You know, yeah. what you've been given is so remarkable and special, right? Like we're all, we're all the same and we're all special. We're all remarkable and unique and special and on our own gifts and don't want her gifts or her gifts or his gifts, want yours because those are the only ones that are going to have your energy behind them. Mm. If you can tune into those, yeah, that's only a force for good. Yeah. What are yours? Like, what are the things that you recognize that light you up that you feel really alive doing and do you find that they're the same ones that lit you up when you were little so i think that i see things clearly are you a projector a manifesting generator okay yeah. interesting so i i am very 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 curious i'm very curious about the workings of my inner world and my mind i'm very curious about other people and relationships with them and i'm very very curious about seeing a situation that I don't understand and then being like, oh, I see what's happening here. I have clarity on what's happening here. And so I think that that's probably the thing that I recognize about myself the most. I also am really a connector of people Mm. and really, really, I have really good discernment when it comes to people. Like I can smell a phony from a mile away, but the good ones, I can spot them and I can like pluck them, you know, I can pluck them out of the crowd. Yeah, yeah. I pluck all those people out of the crowd and I introduce them to each other. And the reason I do that is because that is the reality I want to create for myself. Those are the people I want to be with. And I want the people I love to meet the other people I love. And I want to spend time with them because they're loving and smart and non-judgmental. And that's where I feel safe and alive, where I can say something and learn from another person and they can say something. And so I think I'm also really, really non-judgmental. Oh my God. I want to get better at that. Like, and it's like (laughs) actually part of this, of the journey. And I, I, at least I'm at a phase right now where I can witness it a little bit more, but like, man, that's one that I want to definitely work on because while doing this, I feel like it's kind of like patience and judgment at the same time, like having patience for people not meeting me where I would like them to be and like allowing them the space to grow at their own pace and at their own level. But like, 
I don't know if you have any insights on that, but I, I struggle with that where it's like, at what point is it like, this is just not like, it doesn't feel like it's in alignment anymore. Or like you give the person the grace and the space to rise. Yeah. I mean, I think it's both. Right. So I think that the, the seeing things clearly and not being judgmental are kind of connected Yeah, Uh, because I, when I see somebody who's being petty or ungenerous, I see them being petty and, and ungenerous. And then I see, I'm like, okay, what's actually happening here? And then I can see insecurity or I can see lack of confidence or I can see a feeling of comparison. So I'm like, I see what's going on here. Like, it's all cool. That's like what's going on underneath. And so that underneath humanness where I'm like, I can relate to that. I felt insecure. I felt lack Mm -hmm. of confidence. I felt jealousy. I felt all those things where I'm like, yeah, you're just being a human. Yeah. Right. You're just being a human. And and I, I just did a talk with my dear friend, Elena Brower. So I'm going to borrow her phrase. It's like, oh, how human of you. Yeah. How human of you. Right. And I can decide whether I want to be around it or not, but it's not emotionally charged, mm. you know, because it's like, oh yeah, you're just a human muddling through trying to find your way. Just like me, just like me, you know? And so there's this kind of common denominator of humanness that I just see in people. And so like almost nothing bothers me. Almost nothing. Wow. There's definitely, I hope to get to a place like that. (laughs) No, there's definitely people who get under my skin. And then I approach those with like tremendous curiosity because they are my teachers. Those people are my teachers. They are the ones that help me see things that I don't see about myself. And so it's like, is it really about them or is it more about me? Yeah. But it's like all of that I understand here, but in practice, you know, and then where I get stuck sometimes is the line. But I think that you answered it perfectly. It's like, if it's not emotionally charged, then like the decision's easier. Like, it's just like, I just don't want to be around this versus like, if I'm around this, what does this say about me? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like, grace with yourself that's required. You know, people often be like, I keep noticing this about myself and it's so, you know, it upsets me that I do this. And I'm like, congratulations, you noticed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like noticing is, it's not half the battle. It's like 90% of the battle. So if you're like, I, I noticed this pattern coming up for me, I noticed that I do this, then it can start to kind of soften, but not if you're criticizing yourself for it. So the way I think about it is like, oh, interesting. That really activated me. And I like, you know, that, oh, interesting. That person gets under my skin. So it's almost like a a neutral observer being like, Vanessa, how human of you. Interesting that that happened. I'm not going to judge you for it because like you're a human being and we all have this stuff, but I am curious about it. I'm really interested to know what that's about. And sometimes I'll kind of ask that question and it'll take me like a really long time to figure out the answer. Mm. But I just keep being like, I've noticed this. Interesting. I ask, what's that really about? And then the more it comes up, the more it kind of like becomes clear and then it kind of softens. But it's that sort of self-criticism after the noticing that doesn't allow the noticing to do its work. Yeah. That's really good. A really good insight. I feel like it's like taking a breath once you have, but it's like, it's just when you catch it, 
then like the next, I, I guess it's like just the awareness after the catch, you know, to like give yourself the moment. I guess that's where I'm at with a lot of these things. Yeah. What is something that you feel like you've actively unlearned that you witnessed that you just know that you had to unlearn to relearn? And it could be something that you're still actively practicing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the pretending and the hiding It's really, it's like my, my whole personal work is around being more honest and more truthful. Um, yeah. And that's really, that's really something I've had to unlearn. And, you know, I also think the, the, this is a common one. I'm sure a lot of your listeners will relate to also the, like the perfectionism of like, I can't make a mistake. I had so much success and I was rewarded so much for that success that I have very little practice at failure. So the, even the prospect of a tiny bit of failure or not doing things all the way is so deeply uncomfortable. You say, I know it in my brain, but not in my body. That's when I feel like it, like my whole body activates. So my practice is, you know, I record a video on Instagram and I post it and I don't watch it again. And I don't, edit it and I allow it to be a little imperfect. I just started following you. I can't wait to start seeing these. It's so <laughs> uncomfortable for me. It's so incredibly uncomfortable. Thank you for sharing it though. Yeah. Unbelievably uncomfortable for me. However, now that I've been doing it for a while, it's a little less uncomfortable than it used to be. It's a little better. You know, I was really like an over-preparer. Mm. Right. Like in the early days, if I had gotten the podcast questions, I would have like spent a lot of time, written them all out, thought about them so that I could be like really, really good, really, really good. And I have just stopped doing that. I've stopped doing yeah. it um, because I, I think also a lot of what people get from me is the honesty. Right. And that means like I did a I did a, a video course. And I recorded the videos and it is, it's my poor team. They're like, can you just record the videos? I'm like, it's never good enough. I always have to edit it. I torture myself over this. And I had one video that had like a weird, I stumbled over a word or something. And I was like, I'm not going to re-record it. And I got comments on that video. It was so refreshing to me that it wasn't perfect that you stumbled over a word. And I was like, oh, this perfection thing, this perfection thing is so stupid, but it's like very hard to unlearn, you know? And I, and, and I came to this realization that it's like this upside down, upside down logic where we all want to be shiny and perfect. But when we see the shiny, perfect woman, we kind of hate her. She makes us feel terrible about ourselves because none of us can be that because it's not mm -hmm. true. And yet we are still drawn or driven to try and be that person. It's super weird. It's super bizarre. So that is an that's ongoing so practice. True. Yeah, that's, that's an so ongoing true. practice of mine is to be like, let it just be what it is. Don't worry about whether it's awesome or great. Just be honest. Don't edit it too much. Don't, you know, overthink it and just put it out there. And so that is what I do, but that does not mean it's easy for me. <laughs> I can't really wait to start witnessing it and thank you for doing it and just doing it live. And like the thing that I said from the beginning of, I think it's a, a lot of our natural inclination to just like want to do it when I'm healed, when I reach that thing, when I have this thing to show for it, when I have this thing to make me a little bit more credible, like 
No, <laughs> it takes actually doing it to see any of those things anyway. So totally. totally. And then, and the credibility thing is a whole thing too. You know, I was like, I have to go to school and get a master's and be a therapist before I can put anything out. You know, there's, there's, there's all this th- the stuff in our head where I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not purporting to be an expert on anything except my own human experience. And like, what I have to offer is my humanness and the fact that I'm really curious about the workings of my own mind. And so I spend the majority of my day thinking about that, which most people probably don't. Right. So that's my thing to offer, but the credentialization of it. And it's not to say that if someone has credentials, they're not valuable and and there's a place for that. Right. Like don't see a therapist who's not a therapist, who's not licensed. You know, there's totally a purpose to that. But in terms of having a voice in the world or having something to say, a lot of us, I think, get held back yeah. by feeling like we don't have the right, we don't have the legitimacy, we don't have um, permission to have a voice if it's not polished and credentialized. Oh, so true. Okay. So for someone in New York right now, Nushu is in New York only and you uh, have well, an online platform. We're, we're basically online. Okay. We basically do almost everything. Amazing. Online. We offer new shoe groups. I offer some courses in the fall. I'm going to offer how to hold space, which is really kind of, you know, that phrase is really out there, but people don't really know what it means and how to do it. And so I teach a course called how to hold space, which is kind of one of my favorite things to do to really help people understand, like, what does it mean to really be there for somebody and be an active listener and not be reaching in to fix or give advice. And it's a really important skill and, and challenging for a lot of people. So I teach that course. We have Nusha groups. I also do a Nusha group facilitator training where I teach people mm-hmm. to hold space in Nusha group, how to keep a space safe, how to develop powerful prompts that can kind of lead to people sharing in this way. And then we do retreats and other fun events because I can't wait. I need to start checking this stuff out. Thank you so much. And for the retreat, is that happening soon? So we actually just put out a surf retreat that sold out in like, wow, 24 hours. We've done a couple of surf retreats. That's kind of what I love to do. I love to surf and rock climb. And so we, that's kind of sold out, but there are other retreats coming up and we have a specific retreat wait list on nushu.com. So if anyone's interested in retreats, they should go on that because our retreat basically sold out to the wait list, our surf retreat. Congrats. That's really exciting. It's also like interesting from the appetite of the collective that it's selling out so quick, you know? Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode. And more importantly, thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself. As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.